want you guys to turn with me to the book of uh, 2 Timothy. We're going to read two verses. And um, if you were not here for the last, if you were not here last week, we began um, a series where, like I said, we're teaching, um, we're laying down some some uh, groundwork or some foundational aspects of the early church because as we get back into this homeroom setting, one of the things that we, we talked about was the fact that um, we're getting, we want to do church a lot closer to what it looked like in the Bible, what it actually looked like in the book. And um, church in the, in the New Testament, or in the Bible, it looked a lot more like homerooms. It looked a lot more like people getting together, breaking bread, fellowshipping, laughing, as well as praying, as well as getting in the word. And I think that in, in over years, over time, the church, we began, we began to overemphasize uh, knowledge, and we began to overemphasize the, dispense, the dispensing of information, um, and that our churches revolve around a pulpit, that you come and you hear someone preach to you, but the truth of the matter is the bulk of your growth is not going to happen based on what happens to you on Sundays, but the bulk of your growth is going to happen based on what you do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, right? So just having a high holy day on a Sunday is not enough to keep you. And you have to learn how to walk with God every day. You have to learn how to have a close or desire to have a close relationship with God personally, amen? And not waiting for the professional clergy person to come and do the job for you. And at H4G, we are, I'm adamant about that. I'm determined about raising up a self-sufficient people, amen? Self-sufficient in the sense that you don't depend on the pastor. You don't depend on your leader, but you learn how to depend on God for yourself. Amen? So when pastor's not around, you can still be saved. Right? And if pastor doesn't have, doesn't have a word for you, you still have a word. Did you catch that? And that when you come on Sunday, this is not when you pray. You come in prayed up. You don't come here to praise and worship. You come to church already full of praise, already full of worship. And imagine if we all live that way, that when we come Sunday to Sunday, how much more intense, how many more levels we can climb together because we're all coming ready to praise, ready to worship because we're doing the work outside. Amen? So we are going to... Um, Continue to empower you to do the work of ministry because we're all kings and priests. Amen. You are a priest. Say, I am a priest of God. So the ministry is not relegated to just only the person with the mic, but every single one of you are priests. And that means you all have a responsibility uh, to worship and minister to God for yourself and minister to others. All right. Let's look at um, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. And then I'm going to go to John chapter 5, verse 39. Today I'm going to talk about the value of Scripture. 
the value of the scriptures, the value of the word of God. All right, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All scripture, let's read it together. One, two, three. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen. So the Bible says that the scripture is given so that we can be profitable in doctrine and correction and rebuke, reproof, um, so that we, the man of man or woman of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God wants you to be thoroughly equipped, amen, for every good work. And the Bible tells us that the scriptures equip us for the good work that we're called to do. Now let's look at John chapter 5, verse 39. Um, if you can, re-go up about a verse or two prior. <clears throat> and the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. Verse 38. Next verse. But you do not have his word abiding in you. Because whom he sent... Him you do not believe. Verse 39, let's read this together. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. Amen. You may have your seats. Thank you. How many of you say that the Bible is important to your life? Don't raise your hands on this, but how many of you read your Bible every day? <laughs> Don't raise your hands, all right? Because there's a great thing. If you do read your Bible every day, that's great. If you don't read your Bible every day, we got some work to do, all right? But first things first, and I don't have time to really go in, because when I talk about the Scriptures, this is one of the... Topics that I can really, really become very, very. I'm going to say a few things that's going to sound a little controversial and is going to probably um, get you a little uneasy. But I'm going to say these things because I don't, I don't think there's any other way to say it than to um, say it. <laughs> All right. Because. I want you to write this down. I want you to write this down. The goal of Scripture, the goal of Scripture is to lead you to the author. The goal of Scripture is to lead you to the author. Now, if you don't understand the Bible and how it was constructed, you will say, well, 
The Bible was not just written by one person, right? There's over 66, there's 66 books that make up the, what we call the Bible. And there were different authors or people who wrote the Bible. But when you understand that the Bible tells us that the scriptures, although there were vessels who recorded what we know as the Bible, the scriptures actually testify of itself that the scriptures were God-breathed or inspired by God. That it was God through man writing out the course of history that pointed to the redemption climax in Jesus. That all of humanity, the Bible is not a book that's going to tell you everything that has ever happened in history. But what the Bible was designed to do was first to show you the, 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 um, the, 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 the narrative that was, that was forming throughout history in which God's rescue mission to redeem man from the fall, to restore us back to where we once were. That when God initially created us, he created us to live What we know as the, in the Garden of Eden, this place of perfection, paradise. God created us all perfect. He created a perfect planet. And then because of sin, there was a fall. There was a planet in which now became ruined by the effects of our choice to rebel against God's very word. That Do you remember in the Garden of Eden, in the very beginning, it was God who gave man an instruction and God told man, this is how we're supposed to live. This is what you're called to do. And then God gave us a blueprint as to how we were supposed to continue to live our lives. And then we know that there was an adversary called the serpent who came in and he talked man out of obeying God's word. Amen. And man began to live and depend on their own knowledge, their own reasonings. And so we have this battle between knowledge and the knowledge of God. And we have this, this battle between man's reasoning, man's intellect, and then God's revelation and God's word. And so there is this battle because from the beginning of Genesis all throughout the Old Testament, we see God trying to get man's attention in various ways. God trying to, uh, trying to preserve us before we all destroyed ourselves because of sin. And then at the same time, um, God trying to now lead us to the way that we were supposed to go. We knew that we couldn't save ourselves. And so the story that is played out all through our scriptures from the, from, the, from the very beginning all the way up until we get to Matthew and Luke and, and Mark and John is that there was one that was coming that was going to that was going to cause men to turn to be to change and to repent is what we find in scriptures to cause us to come back to knowing God for who he was notice that in the very beginning in the book of genesis when god created adam and eve in the garden of eden there was no book There was no such thing called a Bible. So when God initially created humanity, he never intended for us to live by a book. Why? Because we didn't need the book because we had him. 
the book was given so that we can have something tangible to help us find our way back to him. So the book was given over time after the fall. But before the fall, there was no book. If the book was the, 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 the most important aspect of our relationship with him, then he would have just gave Adam and Eve a book and he would have never been in the picture. So now we come back to the New Testament because let's look at um, Hebrews since I'm going down that path. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, the, verse, the very first verse, Hebrews 1, verse 1. Hebrews 1, 1. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the who? By the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by whom? His son whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. And I like the next verse, verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the exact representation. The King James says the express image. Another translation says the exact representation of his person. And upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now the Bible says that God in various times over the course of history spoke to us through prophets. His messengers. There were people that God would handpick. He would raise up. And he say, listen, I got a message for planet Earth. I want you to say it. There is something that I want to say to humanity, and I need you to say it. And then you see in scriptures, right, because the people that God called weren't perfect people. They were sometimes unsuspecting of it. They didn't expect to be called by God to do this. But God said, I chose you. Jonah literally ran from God. Because God said, I have something I want to say through you. And Jonah said, I don't want to say it. All right? So these are normal people who God said, I'm going to choose you to communicate through. So now, here it is. God said, the Bible says he, he spoke to humanity through various people. And what those prophets said was recorded in what we know as the Bible. There are different experiences. There are different accounts. God's experiences with Abraham. God's experiences with his sons, Isaac and Jacob. Then we see his encounters with Moses, his encounters with Jacob, and I mean Joseph, and his encounters with David. And we go all throughout history, even Ruth and Esther, females, women as well. Right? These, these different experiences that has happened over the course of history that was all pointing to God's ultimate redemptive plan. 
So that's why you're not going to see everything historically in the Bible because it's, it's not about telling us everything in history. It was always about God's plan to save humanity from their sins, period. And he raised up prophets, people that he would use to do this. Now, when you go back to verse 2, look at verse 2. God in these last days have spoken to us by his son. So when God sent Jesus, the scriptures are very clear that Jesus was the final revelation from God. That there was no other prophet that was supposed to come after Jesus. If you come from a Muslim background or, an, uh, or you've, you've been around Muslims, they would say, no, Muhammad came after Jesus, and he was the final revelation. And that's what they say. No, but the scriptures declare Jesus was appointed heir of all things. And Jesus came to be the final revelation of God. In fact, we know he was the final revelation of God because the Bible actually says that, um, that, that when, when he came... That he was the express image of God. He was the exact representation of God. There is no clearer picture of God that you can ever look at or seek after. That you don't even understand God until you understand Jesus. So Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because I and my Father are one. Amen. So... This is, is a, it's very important that you can't understand the Bible if you read it from Genesis to, from Genesis up into, the, into uh, Matthew, Luke, and John and all those stuff. You are not going to really be able to understand the Bible that way. The, 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 those who are going through history, the Bible says that they all saw dimly. They all saw dimly. They didn't have a clear picture of God. They only got what God showed them. But the Bible says, Jesus said, I am the light. I am the way. I am the truth. So if I start from Jesus, I'm now seeing the truth. Moses didn't even have the truth. Although he got the law, he didn't have the truth. John said the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. So when I see Jesus, I see the truth. And and if what I see in Scripture does not line up with what I see in Jesus, it's not the truth. I'll say that again. If I read something in the Scripture and it doesn't line up with what or who Jesus is, then I'm not seeing that Scripture clearly. I only understand scripture in light of my understanding of who Jesus is and what he came to show us about the Father. So what was Jesus like, for example? What kind of person was Jesus? What do we know about the accounts that were written about him? What kind of person he was? Was he a mean person? Was he mean? No? So if Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, is God mean? 
<laughs> Did Jesus curse anyone? So if Jesus didn't curse anyone, or did he curse any cities? No. Did he curse any nations? No. That if Jesus is the express image of God, is God cursing any cities, any nations, or any races, or people? No. Was Jesus racist, or discriminative, or favorable? Did he show favoritism? All right. So if we see Jesus, we see the Father. And if I see anything else in Scripture that doesn't line up with Jesus, I'm not seeing God clearly. The perfect revelation of God is Jesus. Or as Bill Johnson says it, Jesus is perfect theology. If you want to have a, the, a, the perfect way to study God, just start with Jesus. <laughs> All right. So if we understand this, I'm going to read. We just read two verses about Scripture. One was 2 Timothy 3 when, when Paul talks about all Scripture is, is, is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for rebuke, for correction, all this stuff. And if you grow up believing that, okay, man, I got, I got to take the word and I got to read it because I need to become a good Christian and I need to become a good follower of Jesus and I want to please God, so I'm going to read the Bible it's very easy to now get back into religious works, and it's very easy to become legalistic about Bible reading. Right? If, if, I'm, if I'm consumed with the idea that I got to read the Bible to, to be saved, or I got to read the Bible to stay close to God, but my salvation isn't based on reading the Bible. But it's important to read the Bible. But I want to clear up why it is important. So now look at what Jesus said again in John chapter 5. Verse 39. Jesus speaking to the masters of the scripture in his name, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, he told them to their face, you search the scriptures. For in them, you think you have eternal life. You think that by knowing the scriptures, meditating and memorizing the scriptures, and, 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 and wearing them across your chest, and putting them around your house, you think that by knowing scriptures, you have eternal life. How many of you know that you can know the scriptures, read the Bible, know the Bible, and still not know Jesus? That just because you can recite verses, it doesn't mean that you know God. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But what? These are they which testify. Of me. Remember who Jesus said he Jesus was. The Son of God, God in a body, the final revelation of God. When the revelation of God appeared in front of the religious, they could not recognize the revelation of God. 
that their definition of God did not look like the revelation of God. Look at what the next verse said, verse 40. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So Jesus said, your problem is you stop short at just the scriptures. <laughs> they didn't understand the goal of scripture is not just to know the scriptures. The goal of scripture is to know the author to know the word to know god you use the, the scriptures as not an end but it's a means to an end you use the scriptures to have an experience or an encounter with god that god never intended for you to just settle for letters on on a page but he wants you to go past that and he wants you to actually have a face-to-face -face encounter with his glory. Do you know that God wants to know you face-to-face? -face? That he wants you to know him personally? That you can have a, a real relationship with God? And what happens is when that happens, look, the same Bible you read is full of people's ex encounters and experiences with God. It was, this, it was written so that you can get hungry for your own. I don't want to just read about Joseph and get excited about Joseph's favor. I want the favor that Joseph also had in my life today. <laughs> Come on. I don't want to just read about what the disciples did and what miracles they saw. I want to see those miracles today. Come on. Jesus said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the same Jesus that was with them is the same Jesus we say is with us today. Why are we not seeing the same works? Because we have become trained to only settle for scripture and not experience. Bible study without Bible experience is pointless. <laughs> All you do is get more religious. Knowledge alone puffs up. Jesus said, my words are spirit and are life. Come on. When you have experience, say experience. When you have experience and you know God for yourself, you may not know 25 Bible verses. You may not know 100 verses off the top of your head. But you can say, I know God and he hears me and I have favor with him. And when I pray, something happens. When I pray, I see heaven show up. Come on. Because I know God. I know the author. Because here's what happens. The religious leaders of today... Modern-day Pharisees, modern-day Sadducees, those who run our seminaries and those who oftentimes run our churches, they can run circles around you with the Bible. They can impress you with Scripture, but they can impress you with the power to demonstrate, the power to actually release signs and wonders. Why? Because God doesn't back up just his word alone. He says, I will, I will back up my word with works. That's what Jesus said, right? He said, don't just believe me, but see the works. Yeah. 
Let my works speak for me. But see, you can't, see, if you don't, if you don't know God, you can't operate in the works. You can't do his works. So we reduce scripture to what we can, I mean, we reduce, we reduce Christianity to just simply scripture reading and Bible reading, just a knowledge thing. We got to get past the realm of knowledge and get back into the place of experience, the place of encounters. Because that's actually how you know if you know God. See, the Pharisees were hating on Jesus because they couldn't do what he was doing. <laughs> Look at what Jesus also told them. <laughs> Look at what Jesus told them. Where is it? John, go, go, jump to, jump to uh, verse, where is it? Matthew, sorry, Matthew 22, hallelujah. Matthew chapter 22, verse 29. Jesus said, but you are in error. You are in error. Jesus answered them and said, you are mistaken. You are in error because you don't know the scriptures, neither the power of God. <laughs> you don't know the scriptures. Because the kingdom of God is not in word only, but it's in power. It's in demonstration. If the word doesn't work for you, it's, possibly, it's possible because you don't know God. The Bible said in Luke 1 verse 37, for with God nothing is impossible. And that was a word that God's messenger angel, Gabriel, gave to Mary. We know the story. Christmas is coming up soon. <laughs> Luke 137. God, told, um, God sent, sent um, the word to Mary that she was going to give birth to the Son of God, give birth to Jesus. But then what happened was, in that moment... When the angel was trying to convince Mary to accept and to believe that she was going to give birth to the Son of God, the Bible says that, uh, just turn with me to Luke, Luke 137. The angel came to uh, Mary and said, for with God, nothing is impossible. Right? But there, there's a, but there is a more accurate translation of that statement. There's a more accurate translation of that statement. In the Greek, the Greek rendering, and I believe that RS, the um, RSV actually has that, that um, statement. It actually says, there it is. Let me get my notes. It's the ASV, the American Standard Version, actually says it. It actually captures that statement better. When, when the angel said, for with God, nothing will be impossible in the Greek, it actually is closely, closer uh, stating, no word from God is void of power. No word from God is void of power. You turn to it. <laughs> no word from God is void of power. Some people are getting it already. So when you read the next verse, right after that, it said, Mary then said, Behold, 
the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. That's why she said that. Let it be to me according to your word. Because no word that comes from you will ever lack power. The ability to accomplish. And then the Bible says, after she said that, the angel departed from him. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. See, because I, while at the same time, I want, you, I, wanna, I want you to realize the scriptures is not the end, is the means to an end. I don't also at the same time don't want you to feel like we don't need the scriptures. But I also want you to know that when God gives, you, gives a word, you got to realize that, what is it, John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. God and his word are actually inseparable. <laughs> Woo. That, it's, in, it's impossible to separate God from his word. You know how this makes sense? God is a king, and he has a kingdom. If anybody knows anything about medieval times or you watch that stuff, one thing you will recognize is that the king really has to get off of his throne to accomplish anything. Come on. What does a king do? He speaks. Decrees a thing. Sends out an edict. So now a king sits on his throne. And he sits. Then he calls someone. There's something that I want to do. It's something I want to, I want to get accomplished on the north wing of my kingdom. <laughs> so that I have my messengers who I call, and then I give them a word and say, I want you to go to the north wing, and at my word from today, this is what's going to happen. Guess what happens? When that messenger goes to the north wing and stands up and gives the announcement that this is what the king wants, Everything changes. Every, the king isn't there. All he did was send his word. And by sending his word, the subjects of the kingdom understand that what the king wants, the king gets. And if the king can't decree a thing and it can't be established, he's not the king. <laughs> Psalm 107 said what? God sent his word and he healed us of all of our diseases and delivered us from our destruction. All God needs to do is send a word. You see, the people in the scriptures who understood that, they saw supernatural results. Come on, the centurion, the Roman soldier, Jesus came to him. I mean, he came to Jesus and said, I need you. My servant is dying. Jesus said, I'm getting ready to come. The man said, no, you don't need to come. All you got to do is send a word. 
Why? Because no word from God will be void of power. If you send a word from your mouth, it will be done. Come on, the church don't believe this today. You see, I don't need, look at what, when Mary got that revelation that no word from God will be void of power, she said, let it be, let it happen. The angel left. The angel left. Many of us, we feel like until there is some external man manifestation of God, if I don't feel his presence and I don't know if God is here, and so we're still in unbelief. But if I get a word from God, it's as if God himself is there. So all I need is a word. Come on. Look at somebody next to you say, all you need is a word. Come on. I, I love the presence of God. I love when he shows up. But my faith is not in the feeling of his presence. My faith is in his word. And if I get a word from God, I know I can put my faith on it. I can put my money on it. That God will do what he said he will do. Why? Because he's a king. And he decrees whatever he wants. See, but we're used to our democracy in America. So we think we can veto and we can vote about what God has to say and you're missing the blessing because you're downgrading God's word you're believing that your opinion can size up with his word come on and that's exactly what the devil wants you to do as long as Mary was reasoning with God about well how's this gonna happen you know I never had I never been with a man nothing manifested yet in her the minute she just said, let it be, according to your word, it was done. The angel left. She didn't need God's presence around her anymore. Why? Because she had an internal revelation. God's word was on the inside of her now. Ha! Huh? See, that's what you want. You want the word in you so that as that word is stirred up on the inside of you, the Bible says the word is an incorruptible seed. That once the word is planted on the inside of you, it cannot be destroyed. I know we say I want a blessing on a breakthrough, but you need a word. Hallelujah. You get a word from God, you cannot be stopped. Because God's word cannot return to him void. But it shall accomplish everything that he sent it to do. So if God says you're blessed... If God says you're favored, if God says you're healed, come on, that's the word. He says you're righteous, I'm righteous. See, that's why I get into the word, because I want to know what he's saying, and I, wanna, I want my heart and my mind to become aligned with what God is saying over my life, so that when I go throughout the day, when I hear bad news, when I hear the media, when I hear what my friends and everybody else has to say, none of that can interfere with the incorruptible seed of God that is planted on the inside of me. I am submitted to his word i'm submitted to his scripture i'm devoted to what he has to say over my life come on and that's how you walk in kingdom you live in the kingdom if you're in the kingdom of god the word of god is the final authority over your life if you're in the kingdom of god the word of god has the final say not your emotions. <laughs> Not your situations. 
I turn to him. God, what do you have to say? What do you have to say on this matter? That's why you get hungry for the word. That's why you get hungry for the scriptures. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Whoo, I got to wrap up just now. Look at somebody next to you say, you need a word. And the Bible says he sent his word, Psalm 107, verse 20. He sent his word, and he healed them, and he delivered them. Do you know that one of the, <laughs> one of the things God said he would do for people who are lukewarm is that he's going to spew you out of his mouth? He said, I wish that you'd be hot or cold, but don't be lukewarm. Don't be mediocre. Don't be passive. Be hot or cold. And he said, if not, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. I mean, I don't have a word to speak over you anymore. When people don't have a word, it's either because they're not hungry. <laughs> they don't want it. That's why religion and religiosity is so dangerous. Because you can think that because I'm going down my checklist, I'm praying, and I'm reading my Bible, not because you really want to. See, that's the difference between dead works and good works. When you do it from the heart, because grace has captured you, do you realize how much, how much God loves you, and you, really you, you have learned to accept the gospel, you've accepted what Jesus has done for you, and your life is a response to his grace, then what begins to happen is there is a desire and there's a want to, like we talked about last week. But many people have never gotten to that place yet because most of their spirituality is just, I'm doing this because I don't want to go to hell, and I'm afraid of God, and I don't want to be on God's bad side. I feel like our church is growing up from that. I feel like there is a shift. But I just want to just continue to, 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 to drill this home to us. No word from God will be void of power. Notice there's a difference between a word from God and the word of God. Because a word from God is what he's saying to you for your now. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that is proceeding from the mouth of God. Matthew 4, verse 4. Notice that. Man shall not live by bread, but by every word that is proceeding. There is a proceeding word from God. That river we were talking about, that's his voice. The Bible says that the, the, the river flows from his throne. That whenever God, God's communication is constant. Come on. He's constantly communicating to his people. The question is, are we listening? Are we posturing ourselves to receive from the flow? What is God saying to me now? What does God want me to do next? See, that's that living waters. That's that life 
See, you live there. You, we, we go to the river every day. If I know God has a stream of communication coming my way, I'm going to the river and I'm drinking. I want to hear what you have to say today, Father. I'm not depending on yesterday's word. Come on. We're not depending on yesterday's revelation. That's tradition. Relationship is I'm walking in step with God. God has something to say for me today. He's walking with me into in my tomorrow. And what, one of the, what the uh, religious leaders of today have done is that they also lied to you and told you that God no longer needs to speak to you because he gave us the Bible. Depending on where you've come from, they may have said that. We don't need prophetic words because all the words you need are in the Bible. But you want to know what else Jesus said to his disciples? Jesus said about his disciples, look at that real quick, John, John 14. And I'm just flowing right now. What Jesus said, John 14. I think around verse 16. What I said, John 15, 14. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, and he, that he may abide with you forever. Verse 17. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be where? In you. I will not leave you orphans. I will what? I will what? Come to you. This Jesus said, I'm leaving. But I'm not going to leave you. Because I'm going to send a helper. And then he says in the next verse, and I will, leave, I will not leave you because I'm going to come to you. How is it that he's leaving, but then he still says, I'm going to come to you? Because <laughs> he's omnipresent? Because his spirit is with you? See, we've elevated the Trinity to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. Instead of it being God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because how do I know the truth? Through the Spirit. I can pick up the Bible and read the Bible, but if I don't have the Spirit, I won't even understand the Bible. I can't rightly divide the Bible. I, won't, I will misinterpret the Bible. That's why we have all these crazy lunatics out here preaching all types of weird stuff. Because they don't have the spirit of truth. They have the Bible. You can pick up the Bible and read a verse that says it's okay to kill people. You know that? That's in there. <laughs> but if you don't know the spirit, you can take a verse, extract it, and then say, well, it's in the Bible. I'm being, it's biblical. It's in the Bible. I want to propose to you, church, that it's more than just being in the Bible that you need to worry about. Does it line up with Christ? 
Is it, is it, and is it harmonious with his nature? Why? Because Jesus said, I am the truth. So the scriptures alone is not the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. And you can know the scriptures and not know Jesus. But I also want you to know that you need the scriptures to help you get to know Jesus. And the way I look at it is this. I want to know, if I want to know what God is saying, I want to start with what God already said. So how, why I stay in the word is because it's like a guardrail. And you got to realize this. There, there are three guardrails that the, Bible, that the Bible points to. That if you remember to stay in these three guardrails, you can protect your life from any deception, any seduction that the enemy may send your way. The first guardrail is his presence. The second guardrail is scripture. And the third guardrail is community. And if you remember to keep to guard your heart by remaining in the, the, the bounds, the boundaries of those three things, keeping yourself in his presence, keeping yourself in the scriptures and in the word, not for reading it, not to read out of religious sake, but to read out of a relationship sake. That you read it because you know that this is your, 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 your it's like, it's like if I, if I was to give you a ticket and say, you can take this ticket and go to Italy. And it's paid for. Are you going to settle just reading the ticket? Or are you going to actually go to Italy? Okay. That's what you do with your Bible. It's like, a, it's like for me, it's like a portal. When I go into the Word, I'm, I'm now being teleported into a new place in God. I love the word because it's, it's expanding my terrain in the spirit. Because I can only go with faith, of, with faith. I can only travel in the places where God has given me the faith to travel to. People have small faith because they have a small understanding of the word. Or they don't know the promises of God. So they don't know what God wants to do in their lives. The more you read the word, you feast on the word. It's like, wait a minute, God says he would do that? And then you get hungry for it. See, faith is your response to the word. When a word hits your spirit and you get a word from God, then you say, listen, I'm going to live. I'm going to pursue that word. I'm going to go after that word. I want to see that word manifest in my life. I'm not just going to get excited about the page and the verse. <laughs> My next step is to get into a, a pursuit of God to experience what God says he will do. And then I, got, I can go back and say, listen, I went to Italy. I can tell you what Italy looks like. Don't just settle for reading about Italy. Go to Italy if you want to go. Don't just get happy about reading about healings. Go and heal the sick. That's what God wants. And that's how you know if you really know him. My final words, my final, uh, thank you. I think that was for me, right? I think so. I never heard that before. All right, write this down. Here's the four things why I love to read the Bible. 
And I just want to share this with you. Number one, I love reading the Bible to get closer to God. It keeps me closer to God. Like I said, it's a guardrail for my life. And you need these guardrails. The guardrails are not there to, to, um, to, to, to restrict you. Guardrails give you confidence. I, there's a bridge I, I don't like going over, the Williamsburg Bridge. And I don't like going over that bridge, especially when you go on the, um, on the far end. There's nothing there. It's like you can just look over and see the, see the ocean. It's just water, <laughs> right? I hate going on that part. I'm like, why don't they build something here? Because it, it, it never looks safe. But when I go on any other bridge, I can just fly right over it. I don't feel afraid. I don't have any anxiety because I know there's a guardrail there. So I can drive faster. Right? I can, I can go faster because I'm, I know I'm safe. But where there's no guardrails, you, you're going to panic. You're going to be afraid. You're going to worry because there's nothing there to keep you. So when you understand, God needs you to live inside of these guardrails. The word of God keeps you. All scripture is given for rebuke, for doctrine, for correction. We're going to need that. And then we also have community. We're going to learn about that next week, about how community keeps us safe. Whenever I see people deviate from the word and community, I already know they're going down. They're heading into trouble. Look at anybody you know who's backslidden. They either deviated from the scriptures or from community. I don't need to go to church anymore. I'm the church. I can be saved without the church. But the community keeps you safe. Number two, I love reading the Bible. I value Bible reading to give my life new territory to explore. I just talked about that. I love to give my life new territory to explore. You see, the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. But I get faith by, by hearing the word. So Jesus said, I can only do what I see my father doing. If I don't have a relationship with God, I can't see what he's doing. And I have no faith to explore the more that God has in store for me. And I'm telling you, there's so much more in store for us. But you can only get hungry for it. You can only have an appetite for it. If you actually go into the word and see what's possible, what's available to you. Don't just read the scriptures like these are theirs, these, these were their encounters. This is stuff that God wants to do today. Amen. Number three, I read, I love reading the scriptures because it helps me stay on track and not be seduced or fall into error. It helps me stay on track not, and not be seduced or fall into error. And I just read that in Matthew 22, 29. He told the Pharisees, you're in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Two more things. Number four, I love reading. I value Bible reading because it helps me manage my thoughts and my emotions. I don't know about you, but when I don't read the word, I feel a little crazy sometimes. <laughs> it helps me to manage my thoughts and my emotions. One of the things that the Bible says about itself is that the word of God is an anchor. It's an anchor to our souls. If you want to keep your life under control, you got to keep your thoughts under control. And that's why the, the battle 
in your life is the battlefield of your mind. The fiery darts of the enemy, all about your mind. Who's going to control your mind? Who's going to control your thought life? Because whoever has your thought life has you. All right? And so that's what the, all spiritual warfare is about, psychological warfare. And you need the word because this is your weapon, your ammunition, your strongholds. You know one thing God told me? He said one time, he said, strongholds are not always evil. He said, you need to build a stronghold. You need to build a stronghold in your mind that the enemy can't penetrate. And you do that by becoming so consumed and so convicted by scripture and by what God has said about you is that no matter what the enemy tells me, I don't believe him. His words bounce off me. His fiery darts extinguish when it gets close to me. Because I don't, I, you can't tell me nothing that I'm not going to already believe in God's word about me. So you need to learn to stop building your own strongholds in which God lives in, in your own life. And finally, I love value. I value reading the word so that I can live wiser than the rest of the world. To live wiser than them. To live wiser than the world. The Bible says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The, a fool is one who lives without reverence for God or any revelation from God. They don't know God. They don't want to know him. And so they live their lives as if God doesn't exist. There's so many Christians today who live the same way. They go to church, but in their day-to-day -day life, they look like fools because they don't live according to the word of God. They don't live according to what God has to say. And you're no different than the rest of the world that, then because they live without any mindfulness towards God. If you want to be wiser than your unsaved friends and unsaved coworkers, get in scripture and start living your life submitted to what the word has to say. And I promise you, the Bible says the wisdom of God will, will, will cause you to go from being simple-minded and being a fool. Listen, people think I'm smart and I'm deep. I just say what the Bible says. I've been doing it from high school. I'll read a, a proverb and be like, yo, that was deep. I'm like, yeah, that's Proverbs 4. Guard your heart from all. <laughs> Guard your heart. Because out of it flows the issues of life. I'm, t I'm guaranteeing you, if you start getting, becoming a student of the word again, and you start bringing up the word in conversations, and you don't got to say, you know, you don't got to be self-righteous about it. Just drop it. You don't even got to say where it came from. Just say it. People are going to be like, yo, Corey just sent me this text about peace, the peace of God which passes all understanding. Like, yo, that was deep, bro. And while the people may be hostile towards the Bible, they love the wisdom in the Bible. So you share the wisdom of God, and people are going to be coming to you. Then you can disciple them and bring them into Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I just want to bless your church with another level of hunger and an appetite for the word. I not break off of them now any religious veil 
that might have been over their hearts, that, um, that might have made Bible reading boring, that may have made uh, Bible reading um, not something that is exciting, something that they're going to wake up and desire to do. I now prophesy that our house will be a house that is filled with not only people who know the word, who mastered the Bible, but the Bible have mastered them. That we won't be a people who just simply know scriptures, but we will know the author of the scriptures. We'll have our own encounters, our own experiences that we're going to not only have for ourselves, but we're going to bring other people into that they will know God for themselves. For this is eternal life, according to John 17:3, that we will know God and know Jesus Christ whom he sent. We will not just search the scriptures, but we will know the author. And my prayer is that this church will be a house where people will have their defining moments here. They're going to have their encounters with God here. And that their lives will never be the same. They're going to be wise. We're going to be sharp. We're going to be um, extraordinary. We're going to be world changers. Come on. Because we are thriving and abiding in the word. And your word is, a, is thriving and abiding in us. <laughs> So, Lord, I thank you now that as your word will go forth over our house, no word from you will ever be void of power. Accomplish whatever your word sets out to be, to do. And let it be unto us according to your word. You don't have to leave your throne. Just send a word. You don't have to get up from your seat, God. Just send a word. Whoa, let a word Hit our spirit, man. Hit our souls. And when that word comes, we're going to be ready to run in it. We're going to put it on. We're going to wear it. We're going to be the word made flesh just like Jesus was. So we give you praise today in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give Jesus one more round of applause.